Amen. Beautifully done, you ladies. Thank you. At this time, we'll dismiss Junior Church, grades 1 through 6. Junior Church, grades 1 through 6, as they head out to the Fellowship Hall. And if you're here today and you have somebody in those grades 1 through 6, you are more than welcome to, of course, accompany them to Junior Church and to see what that is all about. Before John Newton was known as the writer of Amazing Grace, one of the hymns that we sing, one of our favorites perhaps, before he was known as the writer of that, he was known as the great blasphemer. He was a sailor from a young boy, and he was as coarse and as rough as you could get. People would say that there was no one more profane than this man. He was wicked, he was debaucherous. He had a mother who loved him and prayed for him and tried to teach him the scriptures, but he completely rejected it. Not only did he reject the truth of God's word, but he would lead other sailors to unbelief as well. In fact, his life sunk so low that he became a slaver on one of the ships, carrying humans away to captivity. There's a terrible storm. It's a terrible storm in March of 1748. And they had mechanical pumps on the ship, the Greyhound, and they were pumping and pumping, trying to keep it afloat. It was a ship upon which John Newton was sailing. And when his arms gave out and he could no longer work the mechanical pumps, they tied him to the helm with a rope so that he might try and hold on to the wheel to keep the ship on course into the waves so it wouldn't capsize. And as he was there, strapped to that helm for 11 hours in the midst of that storm, he cried out to God, and God saved his soul. And there was a remarkable change in the life of John Newton from the roughest of men, from the most wicked and profane of men, from the most blasphemous of men. He eventually worked his way off of that ship, found his way on the land to a respectable profession, but only for a short while because God would call him into the ministry at age 39. And from age 39, for another 43 years, he would be a minister. And he would write those words, among others, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. These words encapsulating the amazing change in his life. Many people, they want to see God glorified in their own lives, and they want to make a difference in the lives of other people, and they want to see people come to know Jesus Christ. But many people don't see that happening around them. We might ask ourselves, why? Why don't my loved ones believe, or my friends, or my coworkers, or my classmates? Why haven't they come to know Christ yet? Well, it's a complicated question. And I don't think you can put your finger on just one part of it, but there is one important factor that we can address. We can't control what others do, and we can't control what other people believe, but we can make choices for ourselves as to what we are going to do and as how we are going to live. What can you and I do practically to help others come to know Christ as Savior? This part is not complicated, and since it's not, we must ask the question, why haven't we done it yet? And God word, God's word tells us that this change, this transformation we experience after coming to know Christ as Savior is not just for us, 
but it's actually for those around us. It's for others as well. So in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8, we'll begin reading together. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8. The word of God says this. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Let's pray together. Father, I do pray that you would bless the reading of your word with the person of your Spirit here among us, guiding us into all truth. Enable me in this hour to bring forth your truth. May it accomplish what you send it to do. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul, who was a missionary church planter, once a persecutor of Christians, became one of the strongest champions of the faith in the era of the early church. And he had a radical change in his life, and he went out telling people about Jesus Christ. But as you can imagine, someone who was once against it and then became for it made a lot of people mad that he used to know. And so it's not surprising that, in fact, he writes these words from prison. The Apostle Paul did what was right and still wound up in prison. He did what was right and he still wound up in a place where it seemed like he was separated from his ministry. But in fact, that was not the case at all. He was exactly where he needed to be. And so when we read these words, of course we know it's the author is the Holy Spirit of God. But let's not forget the penman who wrote these words knowing that when he stood against darkness, he ended up paying a price for it. But he did it anyway, so much so that he was willing to tell others to go and do the same. It says in verse number 8 in our passage of Ephesians chapter 5, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light. I want you, in your mind's eye, to think about a definite difference. And what definite difference is there more between dark and light? Huge difference between dark and light. All of you have felt it over the last couple of weeks, right? As we changed the time, as the days got dark so early, right? You've all felt a little bit of a difference. I know Pastor Steve feels it in his spirit. I can tell. He looks forward to when everything goes back to normal and we lose an hour of sleep. But I start to think, is it worth it to gain that hour of sleep for one night to deal with all of this nonsense? But light and darkness, the difference between the two are as, they say, as far as day is from night. And that's the kind of difference that we're talking about. The kind of difference here, he says, you were at one point formerly in the past darkness. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the Ephesians in the church in Ephesus. He's speaking to believers, and he's helping them to remind themselves, remember, you used to belong to darkness. You were sold under it. You had no power to fight it. Perhaps you did your best to hide it, to seem respectable, but in your heart, all there was was the darkness pulling you down. Let me ask you a question. Is there a definite difference in your life? Has there been a definite change in your life from what you were before you knew Christ to afterwards? Friend, I want you to know today, if you're here and you don't know Christ as Savior, there can be a definite difference in your life. It says that they were light in the Lord. When they changed from darkness to light, what made that happen? Did they just pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Did they just start going to temple, or in our case, church more often? Did they just change their clothes? 
What, what was it that they, they did that made a difference to them? Well, look in Colossians chapter 1, would you? In Colossians chapter 1, we see how they went from darkness to light. How we go from darkness to light. What made this great change? In Colossians chapter 1, in verse number 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You want to know how we were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? How we went from children of darkness to children of light? How we went from being citizens of a dark world into citizens of the kingdom of God? How did we become his saints in light? It was nothing that you and I did. It was everything that the Lord Jesus Christ did. God sent his son, his only begotten son, to live on this world. He became a man without ceasing to be God. Fully God, fully man. And Christ Jesus lived and showed us who God the Father was in our midst. And he went to the cross and laid down his life, not by accident, not by tragedy, not because of Judas who betrayed him, or the unbelieving Jewish leaders who hated him, or the Romans who felt threatened by him. Jesus Christ laid his life down as the lamb who was slain, as the perfect sacrifice. He gave his life so that you and I might be rescued from darkness, because darkness owned us completely. There was nothing that you and I could have done to go into the kingdom of light. We would have had no, no access whatsoever. And yet Christ, with all that he did, made a way. And he made a way at great cost. And it says we have redemption. How? Through his blood. He shed his own blood because nothing any less than the most priceless gift, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, could pay for your ticket, for my ticket, to arrive in the kingdom of light. You were sometimes, formerly, at one point in time, you were darkness. But that's not your story anymore, believer. That's not who you are anymore. And because that's not who you are anymore, and because it wasn't you, it was the Lord, that is so important. I want you to know that no believer is light because she deserves it or he deserves it. No believer is light because they've tried harder. Do you know what you've got in this room this morning? Sinners and saved sinners. If not for the mercy of God, we can only imagine where we would be. Since we're in Ephesians anyway, look in Ephesians chapter 2, would you? In Ephesians chapter 2, a great reminder that it's not by any works, not by anything, not by any striving that you and I have done that we were brought out of darkness. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace are ye saved, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I want you to know that grace is when God does things for us, not because we're good, but because he's good. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. And so the only reason that anybody gets into heaven, the only reason that anybody goes from darkness to light is because of the grace of God. It's not because you joined this church. It's not because you gave money. It's not because you served. It's not because you were baptized. All of those things are wonderful. All of those things are works. And this is not of works. No religious, religious right needs to be done. They were transferred from darkness into light. Look in Philippians chapter 2. Wonderful news. You're not only transferred into the kingdom of light by the grace of God. 
But it says in Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That may be one of my most favorite and precious verses in the Bible because of what it means for me. A great falsehood has gone out in Bible preaching churches that you get saved by grace, but you get sanctified by works. You get saved by grace, but suddenly you can be everything you're supposed to be in your own strength. It is just as much heresy to say that you can sanctify yourself in your own strength as it would be to say that you could save yourself in your own strength. It takes the power of God, and isn't that, isn't that encouraging? Because I haven't been able to do it yet. Isn't that encouraging? Because I haven't arrived yet. It is God who's still working on me. And you know, I'm impatient, and I want it now. And I'm not where I need to be, but praise God, I'm not where I used to be. And so we have God's grace, not just to get into the kingdom, but to help us to walk as children of light. And that's really where this ends. It says walk as children of light. We belong to a new family now, not because we forced our way in or we met all the requirements, but because he adopted us. And because for some reason he didn't want us just in the family by adoption, we were also born again into it. Those are both ways that you can get into a family. You can be adopted into it or you can be born into it. And when we joined God's family, we got both. Look in John chapter 1. This is something that I think oftentimes is misquoted. I've heard people say, aren't we all God's children? We are almost certainly God's creation. But children is relationship. Children is relationship. In John chapter 1, in verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Well, why would he need to give them that power, that ability to become sons of God? Why would they need to believe on his name if everyone was a child of God? It's because they weren't. In fact, Jesus got into a very heated passage in John 8, and for time's sake, we won't go there, but he was talking with the most clean living religious people of his day, but they were dead on the inside. He said, you're like tombs, whitewashed and beautiful on the outside, but filled with death on the inside. And he said, ye are of your father, the devil. And they're like, no, no, our father's Moses. But that, that's not what it was. He said, if your father was Moses, you would have listened to me because he was of the father. So there is a definite transition that goes from being owned and bought and sold wholesale by the devil himself, by darkness himself. You say, how did we end up there? Because all mankind, along with Adam, said, I'm not going your way, I'm going my way. You will not be the boss of me. And we shook our fists in the face of our cosmic creator and said, no. You say, when did we do that? Whenever God said, do this good thing, and we didn't do it. That's sin. God says, don't do this bad thing, and we did it anyway. That's sin. And yet, God in his great mercy, even though we were the ones that sinned against him, we trespassed against him, he paid the price that we might be translated from darkness back into light. So it says back in Ephesians chapter 5, and verse number 8, it says, walk. It says, walk as children of light. Now that you belong to the light, walk as children of light. Walk as those that belong to the light. You say, where are we going? No. Walking, when you see walking in the Bible, there's a very good chance it's talking about the daily habits of life. It's talking about how you live day in and day out, how you conduct yourself, not just what you do on Sunday, but what you do on Monday, 
what you do on Tuesday, Wednesday. You can take it all the way to Friday night and to Saturday night. What you do, how you live your life, walk as a child of light. But how should a child of light walk? Verse 9 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. You might think here that Paul jumped to a completely separate topic, but that's not what happened at all. You see, just like an apple tree makes apples, hopefully, unless they're my apple trees, and just like a pear tree ought to produce pears, the spirit inside of a believer, by the way, if you didn't know, God himself came to live inside of you when you trusted Christ as Savior. The very person of the Holy Spirit, who's just as much God as God the Father or God the Son, indwells you and will never leave. In the Old Testament, even the best of them in the Old Testament were under the threat of sinning so grievously that the Spirit of God would leave. But you and I, we are sealed until the day of redemption by the Spirit. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Just as much as if Christ was walking with you today, Christ is with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ dwells within you. And the the Spirit wants to produce fruit in your life. It wants to produce something. That's what it means when it talks about fruit. What is it that the Spirit produces? Before, when you were bought and sold and owned by darkness, all that was in you was your flesh, was that sinful part of you that always pulled you down and towards darkness. But now light has come in. Now light has come in and the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And now the Spirit of God is trying to produce something inside of your life. Oh, the flesh wants to produce some things inside of your life too. Did you ever wonder why it is that even though you've called on Christ as Savior and you know without a doubt that that you believe that he died for your sins and rose from the grave, that you still at times can be so rotten? I am amazed at times that I can still be so rotten. I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? And then you ask some questions. Have I been feeding the spirit or have I been feeding the flesh? Have I been allowing my flesh, that sinful part of me, to run wild? If I have, no doubt why I'm behaving rotten. Good news, you don't have to walk that way anymore. But because he told these believers, walk as children of light, they must have needed to hear it. You know what that means? That they weren't necessarily always walking as children of light. There had to be a decision that was made. There had to be a change that happened inside of their lives. And that's one of the themes for this year. And even though we're coming to a close, we still want to remember that if we want to make a difference in our lives, we have to do something different. If you want a different harvest, you have to sow different seed. We can't do the same things and expect a different outcome. And so we've talked about making a difference in your own walk with God at the beginning of the year, then making a difference in your home life, making a difference in your church, and now we're making a difference in your community, to the lost, to those that are around you. If we're going to make a difference, we're going to have to walk as children of light. And the Spirit of God produces in us goodness and righteousness and truth. Meaning that if the Spirit is calling the shots, if the Spirit is leading you, if you have gotten out of the way and allowed God to shine and to live and to speak and to work through you, then the things that you do should fall into those categories. They should be good, they should be righteous, and they should be truthful. They should be good, they should be righteous, they should be truthful. You say, I think I know what good means. If you're wondering what good means, it means good. There's nothing special about that. It means good. Righteous, you say, well, I'm not totally sure what righteousness means. By the way, you may have been in church forever, and you may know exactly what righteousness means, but I remember sitting over there as a 16, 17-year-old young man, and people got, were, were preaching, and I had no idea what they were talking about because I, I didn't go to church all that often, or at least not this kind of church. Righteousness means you do what God asks of you. You do what God requires. And finally, truth 
means just what you think. It's truthful. So, so the question that I had to ask myself when I looked at this passage is, could I take the words that I speak during the week and would they fall into this category? Were the things that I said good or righteous or truthful? Not just the things that I said to Pastor Steve when we were at the church in our most holy of moments, but to my children when they were driving me crazy. Can I have more time on my video game? Please? Please? Right? Was I, was I responding properly? And you know what? No. I wasn't. I didn't. God help me. That's a, 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 <laughs> that's a question there. You see, in verse number 10, we're taught proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Do you know who it is we're trying to please? You know who it is we want to make smile? You know who it is we want to make happy? It's the Lord. I want you to know that that's who it is we ought to be trying to make happy. Who we're trying to please. The things that God would look at and approve of and smile of, that, that's the measure. That's the measure. It's amazing to think about, but if we can do that, everybody else that ought to be happy with us will be happy with us. And all the people that ought not be happy with us will also ought not be happy with us. I'm not saying you're going to make everybody happy. You can't do that. I heard somebody say, you're not a taco. You can't make everybody happy. Very spiritual. Look in Proverbs, would you? Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16 and verse number 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Let me read that again. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Child of light, how do we walk? In a way that pleases the Lord. You say, well, I've got, I've got other people in my life than just the Lord. Maybe you have a spouse. Maybe you have a fiance. Maybe you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Maybe you have a father and mother. Maybe you have sons and daughters. Maybe you have siblings. Maybe you have co-workers or classmates or friends. I've got all these people, and they all want something from me, and I have to please all of them, and I feel hunted because there's so much that I have to do to make everybody happy. No, friend, no. No, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Because when we make the Lord happy, everybody else gets taken care of. Do you know what? Even down to our enemies. It will make them be at peace with us. may not like us, but at least they'll be at peace. That's amazing. It's like the bundle package. You want all of it? Then make your ways to please the Lord. Make your ways to please the Lord. Live a life that makes God happy. That's what it means to be a child of light. Back in our passage, it says in Ephesians 5, in verse number 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The works of darkness. Boy, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like some epic fantasy stuff right there. The works of darkness. You say, I would never do the works of darkness. That sounds terribly evil. Well, look back in this chapter in verses 3 and 4. It says in Ephesians 5, 3 and 4, But fornication 
and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Hold on a second. You mean like saying foolish things? Joking about things we ought not joke about? Being covetous? Those, those fall under works of darkness? They do. In addition, if you look at Galatians chapter 5, just back a little ways, Galatians chapter 5, you say, what would the flesh produce if it had its way? What would the flesh produce if it had its way? If the darkness could rule inside of us, what would it look like? Galatians 5 and verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest. They're revealed. We can see what they are. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. This, this is a pretty vile list of things. It's strange to me that Paul had to tell them to stop it. Is it strange to anybody else? You would just sort of guess that they would never do these things. But apparently, some of them were having fellowship. Some of them were having association. Some of them were, at one time or another, still doing these things, even though they were supposed to be children of light. I really wish that when you got saved, you never sinned again. I, I really wish that that was the case for me. I wish it was the case for you. Because as we know, sin is destructive. And though it might be fun in the short term, the Bible says it's pleasurable for a season, we know that eventually it brings forth death. It always does. So I wish we didn't do it anymore. But apparently, just in like in Ephesus, we have the same battle. And the question is, what should our association be with the works of darkness if we're children of light? Should we just not do them? I think that's a good place to start, Right? Should we have no association? By the way, you know who the most miserable Christian is? The person who has one foot in the world of darkness and one foot in the life of light. That is the most miserable Christian. One person with, as they might say, a foot in the world and a foot in the church. You know why? You don't get to any of the good stuff. You don't get any of the good stuff. You get the bad stuff of both sides. You see, because you're saved... You can't truly enjoy all of those things back out in the world. You can't. You might for a moment, but you wake up the next day and you think, what did I do? And you feel terrible about it and you hate yourself for doing it. Maybe it doesn't even take to the next day. You say that thing or you think that thing or you do that thing and right afterwards you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. So you don't get the fun part of sin because you can't enjoy it. But because you still got one foot in the world... You can't enjoy the blessings of being close to God. Which, by the way, where is the joy in the Christian life? It's in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his presence, his fullness of joy, his right hand pleasures forevermore. That, that's, that's where we find the joy of it. And we can't stay close to him because we distance ourselves with, with the sinfulness. There's no one more miserable, or I would say more unfruitful, as a Christian, than someone that's got both feet. I, I can tell you that's true, because I remember I, got, I, I became a believer. I got saved right as I went off to college, right as I went off to Ohio State. And boy, 
there was a lot of partying. There was a lot of partying. And I just, I couldn't have any fun. I couldn't have, you know why? The preacher didn't tell me no. My parents didn't tell me no. It's because when I tried to do that, something inside of me made it not fun. Shouldn't do that. Shouldn't go there. Stay away from her. Don't do that. It was, it was miserable. It's one of the ways, by the way, I knew that I was really saved. It's because before, I only wanted to avoid getting caught when I did something wrong. Now something so changed inside of me that I didn't even want to do wrong, even if I could get away with it. So if you, if you feel bad after you do something wrong and no one is around watching you, that's a good sign. That's a good sign that you know the Lord. Why? Because that's the Spirit of God who lives inside of you who's saying, not good. There's a better way. Not good. Repent. Be clean of it. We should have no fellowship, no partnership with the works. What do we do? Just avoid them? Our passage back in Ephesians says, no, not just avoid them, but rather reprove them. You know what it means to reprove? It's to call out when something's wrong. It's to correct something when it's wrong. We ought to first off correct the works of darkness in our own life. We ought to be quick to condemn our own sin and to flee from it. But we also ought to be willing to speak against the darkness that we see around us. I know, I know that it seems counterintuitive that if you want to win people to Christ, that you would speak about sin as sin. I know that seems counterintuitive because we would like to say if we're just sort of easy on it and we don't go into it too hard and we don't really get in people's faces and if we just go easy about it, then people are going to to feel comfortable enough to like us. And then maybe we'll be able to invite them to church or to an activity or maybe they'll hear the gospel. I want you to know that the way that this world looks at you is that you cannot compromise enough to make them happy until you've given up everything that makes you distinctive. Let me say that again. You cannot give up enough to please this world until you've given up everything that makes you distinctive. And once you've abandoned all of your values and your convictions, they will despise you. Because you were the person that stood for something and now you stand for nothing. You want to fit in, so you start using their language. You want to fit in, so you start drinking what they drink, smoking what they smoke, going where they go, hanging out with those people. You start being just like them, thinking, eventually, I'll be able to influence them for good. No. No. It's like a beautiful thing. Even though they won't admit it, it's like a beautiful thing tarnished, cast into the mud. No, they won't respect you for that. They won't respect you for that. Now, are they going to like us? when we speak out against things that are wrong? No. But you see, we're not speaking out against things that are wrong. We are speaking the truth. There's a big difference there. The truth happens to, in some cases, show that some things are wrong. And people in darkness don't really like their dark deeds being called out. But unless our toes get stepped on, even as believers, we don't live the way we ought to live. And if we're never brought face-to-face as someone who doesn't know Christ, if we're not ever said, hey, you can't live that that jealous, envying, bittering, backbiting, gossiping way. You you can't do that. That's against God. Say, who are you to tell me how to live? Nobody. I'm nobody. 
listen, I messed up yesterday. If it's on my moral, I probably messed up this morning. If it's on my moral record that I get to tell you what to do, we're done. But that's not the authority that we speak of when we come to this pulpit. It's on what God says. It's what God says. And we ought to not just keep our heads down. We ought to say something. We ought to speak the truth in love. But we are called to be the pillar and ground of the truth. Whatever a church get involved in, gets involved in, it must first be the pillar and ground of the truth. Any of you turn on the TV? Any of you look on your phones? Any of you turn on the radio and say, man, there's just so much truth on here. There's so much truth. We need, so, we need a little bit less truth around here. I'm going to say something else just because I'm tired of truth. People need it. In a world that's so in love with lies, people are desperate for the truth. They may not realize it. Did you know that the fastest growing religion in England for a number of years now is Islam? You know why? Because it's tough. And it seems like it's real. Like there's a cost that must be paid. Something must be counted if you're going... Because you have to do these things and you have to pray these times a day and towards Mecca and take this pilgrimage and keep the, the pillars of Islam and you have to not do this and not touch that and not eat this. And it seems like there's some reality to it. Rather than just, buddy, Jesus loves you. No, that's not going to win anybody to Christ. Now, do we become hateful? No. One of the most loving things you can do is to help somebody avoid hell and gain heaven. There's nothing more loving than that. There's nothing more loving than that. As a parent, don't you just wish you could spare your children all of the pain of this world? Don't you wish you could? I wish I could. I wish I could take their lumps for them. I wish when they have to go to the hospital or the doctor, I could do it for them. I'd like to spare them from all of that. Why? Because I love them. A sign that we have love for one another would be we are willing to do the things that are hard for the benefit of those we love. Light reveals darkness. We shine by bringing the truth to bear. So what is God practically asking us to do? First of all, we need to start here. Become a child of light. Become a child of light. Are you a child of God? Do you know Christ as your Savior? No man cometh unto the Father but by me, said Jesus Christ. There is no other way to become a child of God, a child of light, than trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You say, well, that's what you Baptists believe. I know. I understand that, but I used to be a Greek Orthodox before I was a Baptist. And you know what this Greek Orthodox needed? To come to the Father by Jesus Christ. <laughs> because that's not Baptist, that's Bible. Jesus said, I am the, truth, the, the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's not a Baptist thing. That's a Bible thing. And I needed that. If you've never become a child of God, I hate to tell you this, you don't get in by default. You don't get in by default. In fact, by default, we belong to the enemy's team. But God has gone to great lengths to welcome us in, to transfer us from darkness. You don't need to be in that family anymore. You don't need to be a part of that misery anymore, of that deception, of that bondage. Come out into the light. I've made a place for you, God says, in my home, at my table, with my family. Become a child of light. Have you called on Jesus Christ asking him for the forgiveness of sins? I was an 18-year-old young man when I prayed and asked Christ to forgive my sins and be my Savior. 
I wasn't in church. There wasn't a preacher around. But I'd heard the gospel from this very pulpit. And I knew that Jesus Christ, God's son, died for my sins. And I knew that he rose from the grave. But I was so stinking prideful, I didn't want to tell anybody that I, I was being dealt with by God. And so I, one night, I knelt down at the side of my bed and I prayed and I asked Christ to forgive my sins and be my savior. Lights didn't flash, bells didn't ring. I didn't know all the perfect words. I don't know that it would have passed, passed the public prayer test. And there is no public prayer test, by the way. I don't know that it would have, would have made it. And I don't even know how theologically accurate it is. But I could tell you it was right on par with the sinner who wouldn't even lift up his eyes to God, as Jesus talked about, and he said, be merciful to me. Beat his own chest because of how much he knew he needed to be saved. Like I said, lights didn't flash, bells didn't ring, I didn't feel funny all over, but I knew I'd taken Christ at his word and I became different. There was a transformation in me, maybe not as wild as what happened with John Newton, but there was a definite difference. And you might say, I grew up in a Christian home. I'm not sure if there's been a, a definite difference. I've been around this stuff my whole life. I don't know if it's there. What is your heart like? Like I said, one of the greatest things that you can know that you're saved is because your want to has changed. Maybe you weren't at the nightclubs. Maybe you weren't down in the parts of town you ought not be buying things you ought not buy to do with them things you ought not do. Maybe you weren't the worst of people to the outside eye, but you knew in your heart you wanted to lie to get out of trouble and you knew you wanted to steal to get the things you wanted and you were willing to manipulate people in order to, to achieve your own ends and now suddenly that's become repulsive to you. Maybe you still do it, but after you do it, you feel terrible. That's a change. You know, I can change your behavior, most likely. With enough reward, you might be able to change anything or with enough threats, you might be able to change anything. But I can't, and no one could ever change your heart. That would be a miracle. And in fact, it is. Every time somebody comes to know Christ, and he makes them a new creation. If you're not yet a child of light, this is the day to do that. Second of all, let's live to please the Lord. Let's live to please the Lord. There is so much stress in this world about looking good to impress people that we don't really like. To try and impress people we don't really like. And it's even worse for those people that are 40 and under because there is this obnoxious thing called Instagram. And we have to keep up appearances. And, and those of you that don't understand what I'm talking about, you're like, that is dumb. And I get that you say that. But they have a metric that they use that, that clinical psychologists use in order to measure the stress load that's on people. And the same measurements that they would have used 50 years ago, 50, oh, just 50 years ago, the same measurements that they would have used 50 years ago taken now of the average 12-year-old girl would have her put into an asylum. They use that same metric, and if, if they saw that 50 years ago, what they see today, you'd be locked up. Some of you dads are like, would you please lock up my daughter for a little bit? No, we will not. But it's the stress of trying to please so many people. You know how freeing it is when all that you have to do is please the Lord? There's a bunch of people in this room, and some Sundays there's even more people than this in this room. 
Do you know how hard it is to try and please everybody as a pastor? I'll give you a hint. I haven't figured out how to yet. So I, I don't know if I'm going to. Have you figured it out yet? It's impossible. But you know who I can please? I can please the Lord. And if I please the Lord, even my enemies, Sean, will be at peace with me. No, Sean's not my enemy. <laughs> Sean's my friend. If God was watching you, would your behavior make him smile? If God was watching you, would your be if he could hear your thoughts, would it make him smile? If he could hear your words, would it make him smile? If he could see all of your behavior, and not just here this morning, but when, when you're driving home today, when you're driving to work tomorrow morning, or going about whatever your routine is for the week, would God look at your behavior and would it make him smile? That's the question that we're asking when we say, walk as a child of light. What does that mean? Live to please the Lord. And you know, God is listening. God does see. And, and he knows what's in your heart. And so instead of living to please ourselves, whether it's by pleasure or comfort or success or possessions, or living to please somebody else to get their approval so that we get that pat on the back or we get invited into the club to, to be with the people that we've always identified were the cool people, let's ask this question. What would make Christ smile here? What would make Christ smile in this situation? What would make not just the father smile, but that he would, he would nudge Gabriel and be like, she's mine. You see that? She's mine. He's mine. That was good. What would that be like? That's what it means to live to please the Lord. Lastly, let's speak truth against darkness. Let's speak truth against darkness. How do we reprove darkness? By shining light on it. You dispel the darkness by speaking truth. You dispel the darkness by speaking truth. Truth reveals. Truth reveals. And so we need to apply truth to our lives. Right? If we aren't shining as children of light, if we aren't walking as children of light, it's very hard to go to somebody else when we're steeped in darkness and be like, hey, darkness is bad. And they're like, who are you? Who are you to tell me that? Now, you don't have to have everything together. But there is a definite difference in someone who's trying to live to please the Lord and someone who's trying to live to please themselves. There is a definite difference in that life. So we need to be able, we need to be willing, I should say, to speak truth against the darkness in our own lives. We need to call it for what it is, and we need to do battle with it in the power of God. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen to that. But we need to speak the truth in love to others. We need to speak the truth in love to others. Do you want people to hear the truth? How many of you have somebody in your life where you would love for them to have a vibrant, healthy relationship with God? The hope of heaven. How many of you know somebody? Maybe you're going to see them this week. You know somebody. You say, I, I want them to have that. Then love them. Serve them. Show up for them. Build that relationship with them. You're going to be surprised what that does and letting them hear what you have to say. You'll be very surprised. You know, it's easier and safer to keep quiet. It's easier and safer to keep quiet. That's what we tell ourselves. But the time for ease and the time for safety has passed. I want to close with 
Romans chapter 13. In verse 12, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. You know what you use armor for? Battle. You use armor for battle. Do you know what goes on between darkness and light? Battle. Spiritual warfare. Do you know why it's easy for you to make your friends mad when you talk about certain subjects and you don't feel weird about it? whether it's Ford and Chevy and GMC and whatever else, whether it's your sports team versus their sports team, and you can razz them and make them feel uncomfortable, and you can say all sorts of things, and it's no big deal. But as soon as you try and speak up about Jesus Christ, it's like something has clamped onto your heart. Do you know why that is? Because you've engaged in spiritual warfare. You've stepped out onto the battlefield. And there is more than what you can see going on behind the scenes, because when you give out that gospel tract, you feel embarrassed about it. You feel weird about it. You're like with somebody and they're giving out a gospel tract and you're like, oh, I don't know them. Right? And you're like, oh, she's really busy. The cashier's really busy. I don't want to bother her. I don't want to give her this. I don't want to talk to my doctor about this. Oh, it's, you know, uncle so-and-so is going to be at Thanksgiving again. I know how he feels about Jesus. And if I talk again, oh, it's going to be bad. You know why that's so hard? You'd be fine to argue with people about politics. You'd be fine to argue with people about whatever it might be. But as soon as you start talking about Jesus, not even God so much as you get specific with Jesus, you feel like, boom, I just hit something. I hit a wall. What is that? That's spiritual warfare, friends. That's why we need to put on this armor of light. When we walk as a child of light, we are prepared to deal with the darkness. So don't feel like you're alone or you're weird when you feel uncomfortable as soon as you try and bring up that conversation. You know what that means? You're doing the right thing. You ever exercise and the next day you were sore? I mean, sore. You're like, I have muscles there? That probably means you did the right thing. And it's the same thing when you speak up against darkness. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? In our church, we have what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God has spoken to you about. And that's what we pray for. We pray that God speaks to us when we come here, that his word meets some need, whether we know about it or not, whether it's comfortable or not. We want to hear from God because we want to become the people that he has saved us to be. And so if you're here this morning and God has gotten your attention about something, I want you to hold that thought in your mind. What was it? that the scripture said that made you uncomfortable or made you rejoice or made you say, that's it, that's what I needed. Hold that thought in your moment, in your head for a moment. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior, I'm not asking if you're a good person or a bad person. I'm not asking if you're a, a member of this church or another church. I'm not asking if you've been catechized, christened, baptized, any of it. But if you're here this morning, what I'm asking, has there ever been a time when you prayed and asked Jesus to forgive your sin? Trusting in Christ and Christ alone, not this church or any other church, but coming through Jesus to the Father. That's how you become a child of light, friends. 
is simply through Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, today's the day to do that. Right where you are, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to come to you. In fact, I want to I share with you the, the simple words that I prayed when I trusted Christ as Savior. And you can pray them right there in your seat, in your own heart. And if you believe when you pray these words, God has promised to save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus says, if you come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. I said, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know my sin must be paid for. But I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the grave. Forgive my sins and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. With your heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, would there be anyone here that said for the first time they prayed and they meant those words? They prayed and they meant those words. Would you just slip your hand up right back down with no one looking saying, I've got that settled. Amen. Amen. Anybody else that says, I got that settled today. I got that settled. Amen. Believer, we ought to be walking in light, but apparently we need reminders about it, don't we? I know I do. Paul thought that the church in Ephesus did, and the Spirit of God thought that we all do. Is there something in your light, in your life, that is not what you would call light? Is there something in your life where it didn't just happen once or twice, but it happens more often than it should? And you know it wouldn't make God smile. You know it wouldn't make him proud to say, she's mine, he's mine. And you want to bring that to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. And ask for strength to overcome it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. I just want to pray for you. Is there anybody like that today that says, I know that something's going on. It's not making God smile. I see your hand. Amen. The Lord sees it. Amen. I want to stop. I want to walk in light. Anybody else that would say with an uplifted hand, God helping me, I'm going to walk as a child of light. The day is far spent. Amen. Amen. Believer, is there still some association with darkness that needs cut off? Or perhaps there's something that you need to speak up about, but you're not comfortable speaking up about, and you need the boldness to do so. Whatever it is that God spoke, maybe it's not even this. Maybe you want to join this church as a member, or you want to get baptized, or something completely different. But whatever it is, would you say yes to him? Father, in this time of invitation, we ask that you would work in people's hearts. Only you can change a heart pray that you change mine to be more like the Lord Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.